Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com, the show that's dedicated to saving you money on buying and owning a vehicle. Now, here's your host, Rick Popley. Welcome to the premiere episode of Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com, where each week we will try to help you make smarter choices about buying and owning a vehicle and hopefully save money. Hello, everyone. I'm Rick Popley, your host and proprietor of Cars, Trucks, and Bucks. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you'll be a regular visitor to this show and others on TalkZone.com. Today's topic is, should you buy that all-new or redesigned car or truck that just went on sale? Or should you wait so you won't have to deal with the inevitable glitches and gremlins that are common on vehicles in their first year? My first guest today will be Mike Van Newkirk of J.D. Power & Associates. Mike will talk about how new models and new technology affected this year's initial quality study, Power's widely quoted rating of vehicle brands and models. Later in the show, Jeff Bartlett of Consumer Reports will give his perspective on first-year models and what Consumer Reports has on that subject. Before we dive into that, Here is some auto news you might be able to use. The Honda Odyssey is the first minivan to be named a Top Safety Pick Plus by the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. The plus means that the Odyssey performed well in a battery of crash tests conducted by the Insurance Institute, including the small front overlap test. In that test, only a small portion of the front of a vehicle crashes into a fixed barrier. It is widely considered the most stringent crash test being conducted today. Many vehicles have performed poorly in that test, including some that were redesigned for 2013 or 2014. The Odyssey is the first minivan to be subjected to this test, so it remains to be seen how other minivans will perform. It is the third Honda to be uh, rated a top safety pick plus. The Accord and Civic are the others. The Odyssey also has a five-star safety rating from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. That's the highest rating available for the government crash tests. The Toyota Corolla has been redesigned for 2014 and goes on sale next month at a base price of $16,800. That is for an L model with a manual transmission. The most popular version, the Corolla LE with an automatic transmission, will start at $18,300. That's $120 more than a 2013 LE. The prices do not include an $810 destination charge. The new Corolla is larger, has bolder styling, and higher fuel economy ratings. The EPA estimates for the LE model with automatic are 29 miles per gallon city and 38 highway. The 2013 ratings were 26 city, and 34 highway. An LE Eco model has even higher EPA estimates, 30 MPG city and 42 highway. Ford Motor Company today began building its popular Fusion midsize sedan at a plant in Flat Rock, Michigan, outside of Detroit. The Ford Mustang also was built there, and the plant will be capable of producing up to 100,000 Fusions per year. For you, This means that over the next few months, the supply of fusions at dealerships should increase, 
And when the supply goes up, selling prices tend to come down. The Fusion was redesigned for 2013 with styling that has received rave reviews and is among the best-selling cars in the U.S. Dealers are selling them quickly and at high prices. Kelly Blue Book says the average selling price of the Fusion this year is nearly $26,400. That's $2,400 more than the Toyota Camry, the best-selling car. Until now, all Fusions have been built in Mexico, so the additional production capacity in Michigan should put more cars into dealerships. If you're considering a Fusion, you might want to wait a few months to see if selling prices come down as a result. Fasten your seatbelts, everyone. Driverless cars are coming. Nissan says it will have vehicles that can drive themselves ready for sale by 2020. The key words here are ready for sale because safety regulators, regulations that would allow them to be sold and used on public roads may not be approved by then. Safety regulators are concerned about a number of things concerning autonomous vehicles, such as how they communicate with each other and other vehicles on the road, and what happens if the automatic pilot system shuts down. Other car companies also working, are working on driverless cars, as is Google, so expect to hear a lot more about the future of driving or not driving in the years to come. However, those of you who dream of riding to work in a car that drives itself while you eat, sleep, read, shave, or whatever may have to keep dreaming about that for quite a while. There are a lot of hurdles to clear before they will be allowed on public roads. And that is this week's auto news you might be able to use. J.D. Power & Associates is widely known for its quality and reliability studies on cars. In this year's initial quality study, some manufacturers that introduced new or redesigned models, and perhaps some new technology as well, dropped in the ratings because owners complained of many problems with their cars. Nissan, for example, had three redesigned vehicles for 2013 and dropped to 31st place out of 34 brands in the initial quality study. In 2012, Nissan had tied for 12th uh, place in the same study. Here to talk about that is Mike Van Newkirk, Executive Director of Global Automotive for J.D. Power & Associates. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hi, Rick. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Thanks. Appreciate you joining us. Mike, what stood out in this year's initial quality study concerning new models, new technology, and the ratings? Well, one of the things that we've done uh, this year is we actually redesigned the survey uh, in, in part to better reflect a lot of the new features and technologies and the kind of offerings that are being made on today's vehicles. So what we're seeing more so uh, this year, and, and it's actually a trend that we've been following for a few years, is a greater increase in what we call design quality or design issues. Uh, and those tend to be very specific to things uh, around uh, driver uh, vehicle interaction. So a lot of the new technologies around connectivity, infotainment, entertainment, uh, these technologies, while meeting a customer need or a demand, uh, are falling short in terms of how well they're executed within the vehicle. And that's creating uh, more more issues on that side of, uh, of the quality story. We're seeing less issues on the side of what we would call defects and malfunctions, which is more your traditional 
uh, hard quality, things uh, failing, things uh, breaking down. So it's not a matter of people uh, having to take their car back to a dealership because a part failed or, or fell off. Yeah, that doesn't happen uh, like it used to. Uh, what we're seeing is that the the level of quality across the industry and as a whole has m- improved uh, year over year. And a lot of what's being worked out are those uh, those defects and malfunctions. They don't happen nearly like they used to. It's mm-hmm. a lot of these new features uh, and these new uh, this new content that the auto industry is bringing into the market, and rightly so. They're looking for ways to meet consumers' needs, create value around their product, and, and, and draw consumers to their showroom. Well, these features oftentimes are coming from outside the automotive industry, right? So uh, technology that is coming from, uh, from tablets and from uh, telecommunications. And it's, it's not as easy just to fit those into the auto industry, you know, plug it right in as is. It needs to be reworked so that it functions within a mobile environment, and in, and that's the real challenge. So it's not so much things not working, it's just not working the way the consumer wants them to while they're in the vehicle. What, what type of feature would be an example of this? Well, yeah, a good example of that is actually voice recognition. It's one that uh, consumers are very, very interested in when we ask them about their interest in that particular feature. It's very high. People mm. like the idea of being able to use something that they're not using to drive, right? So you're not using your voice. And, and so I wouldn't have to take my eyes off the road or my hands off the wheel. I can continue to manage uh, and control the vehicle, but I can do things with my voice to have the vehicle do uh, other things. I can you know, call up a, a radio station or maybe get a weather forecaster or just a number of things. The problem is that the consumer's experience with voice recognition isn't, uh, isn't robust. And the issues around there are uh, it doesn't recognize the command, uh, it, or it misinterprets it, and, and so it'll do something I didn't intend it to do. And, and so the voice recognition idea, the concept, there's high value in it, but the application of it today is causing a lot of issue. It's just not very usable at the moment. Well, this uh, you said that manufacturers are responding to consumer demand, but can it also be said that they're moving too fast for their capabilities? Yeah, it, it was interesting, and, I, and I've heard manufacturers say this before. There's There's been such a movement toward what can we bring in to make uh, the in-vehicle experience that much more valuable. And if you look at the amount of time that we're spending in the vehicle with, with the length of our drives and just the, uh, the urban uh, conditions, the, you know, the traffic conditions, that time in the vehicle is very important to the consumer. They don't want it just to be commute time. They want it to be productive time. And so uh, the manufacturers have done a lot to try to bring in value, you know, these, to take that time in the, in the vehicle and give them that, the access that they're, they're asking for or the use that they're asking for. The problem is that the, it was the content focus first and not necessarily the, uh, the control of that content, the application or the integration of that into the vehicle system. And, and I have heard comments from manufacturers that say, well, maybe what we need to do is, is kind of take a step back. We've done a great job of identifying the right content. Now we need to take a step back and figure out how to execute this so that it's intuitive, it's simple to use, it makes sense while we're driving 70 miles an hour down the highway. Uh, and, and so I think there's that refocus uh, that is taking place. And now the fruits of that aren't there yet, 
but the attention seems to be there from everyone we're he- talking to in the dialogue we're hearing in the industry. And I think that's the right tact. We, we know the value. Now we have to deliver it. Ford was uh, one of the first out of the gate with touchscreens, with uh, their MyFord touch system, which I think has drawn a lot of complaints and has affected their ratings uh, in the IQS. And they have indicated, I believe, that in the future they may put more conventional buttons back on the dashboard. Yeah. Uh, when, when we first were starting to measure the, the MyTouch system in, in our survey, we, we absolutely did see an increase in the number, uh, number of problems that consumers were citing, in particular with the audio system, the MyTouch uh, system in itself. Interestingly, though, we also were seeing an increase in satisfaction with their audio systems. So what was, and this isn't, this isn't unique. This happens often. When you're first to market with something, when you bring something to the consumers for the first time, especially something that the consumer is really looking for, there is this increase in satisfaction, despite the fact that there's a increase in problems. Now, the opportunity there is to remove the problems while keeping the satisfaction up. But if you can, if you don't remove those problems, after a while, the satisfaction, sort of that halo of being first to market, goes away. One, because you've created frustration, but secondarily because others are going to move in the market, maybe execute it in a manner that was better than what you've done. And now the benchmark has changed because others can see it's working here. Why isn't it working there? And and that's sort of that that difficulty. When you're first to market with anything, it's really you, – you're going to take a risk. You know, you're going to add value on satisfaction, but you know you're going to get problems. The key is can we work those problems out in advance? Can we understand uh, the customer usage side? so that we can continue to gain on the satisfaction without damaging our quality. Okay. Uh, we have to take a short break, but uh, please stay tuned to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks. When we come back, we will continue our discussion with Mike Van Newkirk of J.D. Power & Associates on how all new models affected the initial quality study and whether you should avoid a vehicle in its first year. Welcome back to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Here's Rick Popley. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome back. And my guest is Mike Van Newkirk of J.D. Power & Associates. Power conducts quality and satisfaction studies on a number of products and services, but is probably best known for its quality studies on cars. We're talking about how all new and redesigned models impacted J.D. Power's initial quality study, and what buyers of 2013 model year vehicles complained about. If you have a question or a comment and would like to join our conversation, the phone lines are open. Call 888-463-6748. That's 888-GO-FOR-IT. 888-463-6748. Mike, to pick up where we left off, we've been talking about the initial quality study but power also conducts the vehicle dependability study. How is that different? Well, the dependability study looks at consumers after they've had three years of ownership. So they're later in their, uh, their life cycle with the vehicle. They've obviously had a greater level of experience and a different type of quality presents itself 
uh, at that point, at three years in service. So we see more things around degradation, you know, things breaking down uh, through wear and tear. Where the initial quality study looks at new vehicle owners, people who have had their vehicle for three months now, uh, and and really it's that initial assessment of uh, of quality, and that's why we we do a lot more with design quality in that initial quality study. Back in the durability study, we really don't talk to the design elements. By three years in service, a lot of those are no longer issues. Consumers have figured things out, or it's really not the point to ask about. Uh, difficult to use issues uh, after three years of service. It's really about degradation at that point. I see. And uh, uh, what can manufacturers and dealers to do to alleviate any design-related complaints, such as uh, voice recognition or using a touchscreen? Yeah, it's a, it's a great opportunity, quite honestly, um, especially in this world where we're now adding all of these new features and these new highly interactive technologies, even if you look back at something like navigation systems, you know, they're very involved. There, there's a high degree of, of uh, back and forth between the consumer and, and the system itself. And the dealer um, spending real time with the consumer and talking about and helping demonstrate and showing how these systems work and how you manage them uh, can go a long way in improving that experience. And what, what was it really interesting is we have a separate study uh, on navigation systems in particular. And what we found was that uh, satisfaction with your system, uh, it, you know, it, it's moderate at most, mostly because navigation systems are incredibly involved, and so they're difficult to manage. It's just that's that's kind of the, the normal world we are. And, and right now, um, uh, because we don't have better ways to manage navigation, it's, it's a, you know, a lot of, uh, entering and, and interaction. When we had dealers spend real time with the consumer talking about here's how you input a destination or here's how you find a point of interest or here's how you set your settings for different parts of the, the system, we saw a 10 to 20% uptick in satisfaction with the system itself when that happens versus when the dealer doesn't really spend any time explaining these things to the consumer. So dealer training that when you take delivery of your vehicle, the dealer taking that opportunity and really helping you understand the technology and how to interact with it can go a long way, not in removing complexity, but certainly mitigating the effect of that complexity. All right. Uh, just a couple of comments on that is that I've seen owner's manuals for the navigation system alone and vehicles be more than 300 pages. So indeed, they are complicated, but... Um, Secondly is that I, I get your point about dealers taking the time, but I think when a lot of people buy a car, they can hardly wait to get out of there. And and they, they're afraid almost is that the longer they stay there, that means they might have to buy something else. And so they don't even ask. They just go. Yeah, it's definitely a, a balance there. And and I think the key here is is really focusing on the things that we know are going to be more difficult. If you have a, especially if you have a new customer to your brand, you know, so if it's somebody, a first time buyer to that particular make, that person's going to probably need a little more instruction than somebody who is a repeat owner, somebody who's been loyal. Mm -hmm. And so knowing sort of where they're coming from will go a long way in maybe describing or, or dictating what you should spend your time focusing on. So it's the new stuff, new offerings, new technologies that uh, everybody's going to have to learn about. 
And then it's obviously, you know, if you're a new customer, then maybe it's some of the things, you know, simple things like uh, the cruise control stock that we, you know, and these are issues we saw when uh, people moved from one manufacturer to another, people we executed in different ways. Well, then we need to make sure that if we're different than everyone else, we better point that out or otherwise consumers are going to be a bit frustrated with that. Right. Uh, now, uh, is there any measurement in your any of your uh, studies as to what, how big of a, a draw these uh, features are? These ones that are causing the problems, I'm getting the message that they're also what's drawing people to some of the cars. Yeah, well, one of the things that, that we're noting uh, in our research is that, you know, traditional quality is, is really, you know, as we define it, is really become more of a given. You, you either have good quality or people walk away, where in mm-hmm. the past it was a way that we separated uh, manufacturers, right? Manufacturers, some sold, said, we got great quality, come buy us because you'll get a good experience. Others couldn't say that, so they would say, we'll give you lots of stuff or you'll get a good deal. But today, quality is a given, and so it's very much an, uh, a much more competitive marketplace in, in terms of traditional quality. It's this design quality that is really, one, separating performance today, but also it's the way we're seeing vehicles being marketed. It's a lot about that experience within the vehicle and what it can do for you, how you can exist within it, are the marketing messages that we're seeing. And so that's where we need to spend a lot of attention on not just working out the bugs, but also making everybody certain uh, what that value is and then make sure we deliver on it because that's what's drawing people into the showroom. And we don't necessarily have uh, a measure that, per se, say what's the reason you bought vehicle X, you know, you know what specific technology. But we do ask, why Why are you shopping? So in other words, what are you looking for? What are the important factors more categorically? And far none, reliability, durability is still the biggest driving motivation. And then it's followed by the exterior and the interior, sort of that sexy sizzle of the exterior, and then that interior environment. Does it look, feel uh, like I'm going to enjoy that? But if you look over time, the only measures that have kind of tracked up over time, because everything else is somewhat steady, it's advanced technology that is being offered. Mm-hmm. That's one of the big ones, and, and people are looking for that experience, and it's very personal, because what you want and what I want in terms of technologies and what it does for me be very different. So that's, it, it's a sort of personal, custom side of it. The other one's fuel economy, coming out of 2008, um, we've become ultra-sensitive to our spend. So fuel economy is a big deal, and also the price we pay is a big deal, which are really interesting because those are more economic, and advanced technology is anything but, because we know we're going to pay more for it, so we're right. looking for experience. Does fuel economy show up in the complaints if you don't, uh, don't hit the EPA numbers? Yeah, it, it's not so much in, in IQS. That's more in our appeal study where we ask mm. uh, around fuel economy. And, and when we look at how people uh, – and for – just for the record, appeal looks more at satisfaction with various aspects of the vehicle, mm-hmm. and one of those being the fuel economy of the vehicle. But it's also, you know, how happy are you with your seats? How happy are you with the braking system, with the engine? So it's these larger categories. And fuel economy comes in at the bottom of the industry uh, in, in terms of those those categories overall, primarily because one, it's we've become so sensitive that it's at the top of our mind. We all want to make sure that we're in a position where we're we're okay. So if prices rise, uh, we've we've already 
put ourselves in a position where we can handle that, right? So we're very sensitive to fuel economy. But when we when we experience the vehicle and we believe that the fuel uh, mileage that we're getting or the range that we're getting is less than what we were told, whether it be through the sticker, uh, you know, through uh, through the ratings or through uh, advertisement or what the dealer was going to tell us, then it becomes more of a disappointment. So our these things set our expectations. Oh, you'll get forty, you know, forty miles to a gallon, or you're going to get, you know, twenty seven uh, on the highway and and twenty on the in city. Well, when we when we experience it, we all calculate it, right? We we or we have those little gauges that allow tell us exactly what we're getting. If those don't match or if it falls short, yeah, it's a frustration because one, we're we're super sensitive to it. I would imagine that if you buy a hybrid, your expectations on fuel economy are even higher. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the big draws, obviously, for a hybrid is we feel we're we're getting better fuel economy. We've made that investment to pay a little extra because we know that on the back end we're going to save it through uh, paying less for fuel. And if that's not, if that math doesn't look like it's working out, even on that little gauge that says, you know, here's my current MPG, um, that is something consumers are quick to voice. Okay, what is the upshot of all this uh, for consumers? I mean, should they be careful what they wish for in the way of technology? Uh, wait to buy? Well, I mean, here's an example of that. Uh, my Ford Touch, I think Ford has updated the software for that system two or three times since it introduced it in 2011. I mean, should should consumers wait? It, it kind of depends. Uh, it really depends on who you are, right? I mean, not everybody is um, is a leader, is is first to market. Uh, some people are much more conservative, and or and some people uh, are okay with sort of progressing at a more moderate pace. Um, one thing I do want to just make clear is that launches aren't always bad. You know, we had I think in the last study around 33 launches, and of those 33, uh, about 40 percent of them either launched at or above. Uh, their segment's performance uh, average. So they were above average entries into the market. And in fact, the very best model in the industry this year, uh, the Lexus LS, was the n- it was the number one overall quality, was a new launch. So, you, so launches can be very good. Um, but when we do have a lot of these technologies, they are the ones that are going to come out with, or create more strain. So it really depends depends on who you are. If you are somebody who is who is longing for that value, and again, go back to my Ford Touch because we're, we keep bringing it up. Uh, yes, it had more problems, but if you look at the satisfaction that those people were expressing, it was higher. So they were they were enjoying the idea, and and when it was working right, the the application, but they were acknowledging that it wasn't quite uh, as good as it needed to be. So. People who are on that more leading edge, first to market, understand that. Right. Uh, others who are more conservative would rather wait and and see it uh, a few iterations down the road when the quote unquote bugs get worked out. But there are very good launches in the industry. Obviously, there are some that struggle. Technology and the use of the technology oftentimes can be a big part of that. Okay, we are a picky lot, aren't we? We have car buyers. Are. All right. Mike, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your insights on this. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Okay, appreciate it.
That was uh, Mike Van Newkirk, Executive Director of Global Automotive for J.D. Power and Associates. We have to take a break, but when we come back, we will be joined by Jeff Bartlett of Consumer Reports. He will discuss how first-year models fare in Consumer Reports' reliability, ratings, and what they say about being an early adopter of an all-new or redesigned vehicle. Stay with us. <laughs> 